Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Mike Spaulding, before you get away, yes, how, how, how old are you? Ballpark? 32. 32. Okay, let me ask you this. When is the last time you had a hard copy of a newspaper in your hand, oh. if ever? <laughs> um, at my parents' house before the pandemic, probably. Okay, it, it, just at your parents' house, so you're over visiting them, and they've got yeah. the newspaper lying around. Yes. Okay, um, my regular producer, Gru, is on vacation today. So, Jordan, when's the last time, you are younger than Mike, when is the last time that um, you had a hard copy of a newspaper in your hand? Sunday, actually. Sunday, okay. The Sunday paper. You get the Sunday paper. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you're one of the few. <laughs> and I bring this up because this is, you know, we've talked over the years about the struggles that the print industry has and how the newspaper industry has just been completely and totally wracked by the, the Internet and and a variety of other things as well. But these new numbers on the Journal Sentinel circulation is out, and it, it's staggering. Okay, including digital subscribers, the way I read this in the business journal. So the print copy and the digital subscribers. Like, I no longer get the print edition, but I am a digital subscriber. All right. Um, the Sunday circulation in 2020 declined about 12%. Um, it is now down the Sunday circulation. And Sunday is the big paper because everybody wants the coupons, <laughs> essentially. It's, it's, it's down to about a, rounding up about 130,000 people. Um, it was 147,000 a year earlier. Two years before that, it was 170,000. It's just plummeting. Weekday circulation. Uh, decreased to 83,000 at year-end 2020 compared with 94,000 the previous year. It, it, even even with the switch to digital, people people aren't going over there. They're they're not paying for that content. How do they survive? I do not know. I subscribe digitally as well. Yeah. Um, the Spalding family, we get a couple newspapers digitally, but uh, physically, no. And you know what's a real pain is when you're like moving because you have no papers. Like I, we have no paper to wrap anything with so that's one fallout outside of supporting our friends at the journal sentinel uh that i found was a a pitfall of not but yeah i don't know if we'll ever go back honestly to a a physical well and and i see and i don't i mean i've told this story before for years and years and years when i lived in whitefish bay i I just i always got the newspaper I, i got the hard copy of the newspaper delivered and then one year a few years ago i get the bill and the renewal is I'm approximating $450 for, for the weekday and the Sunday paper. And I'm going $450. And I, I just, I thought that that's just, that's crazy. And so I call up and they say, okay, well, Mr. Wagner, you've been a great subscriber. You've been with us for 30 years. Tell you what, we're going to give you a deal. We'll, we'll make it 380 or, or something. It might have been 360, mm-hmm. whatever. And I'm going, I'm just kind of curious. Uh, the, the digital version of this, you know, how much would that be? Well, we can, I, I forget what the number was. It was 45 bucks or 50 bucks or, or whatever. And I said, sold. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I, cause I still want the local content and all and you want to support it. But I, I just physically, I, I don't, I don't understand who the market is other than, you know, maybe people who are in their sixties or seventies or eighties or nineties who just are always used to having the paper. Uh, but, I, for young, I don't know anybody under the age of forty that subscribes to the hard copy of the paper. I just don't. Do you keep uh, like the historic papers, like after 
you know, 9-11, or my no. parents have all the, after the Bulls won the NBA champ, my dad kept all those for cool moments. You don't do that? Well, I, I mean, at one point in time, I, I maybe... Maybe at one point in time I did that, and then after you get ready to move and you go down to the basement and you find you've got a million boxes of stuff and you go, yeah. why the hell did I keep this? Why, why did I keep my papers from law school? Did I think that there was going to be a Jeff Wagner presidential <laughs> library one day and we want my notes from torts class in 1979? No, so, I mean, it, it, it it goes. I mean, I'm sure there are some people who do that, but I I just, I mean, these numbers are kind of staggering um, as far as, again, even with trying to get people to switch to digital. And I don't mean to pick on the Journal Sentinel because I, I suspect that this is a, a problem that is endemic all across the industry with the possible exception of the New York Times and maybe the Washington Post and maybe the Wall Street Journal. But all these, these local papers, I don't know how you make it when you continue to lose these people no and and as a staunch consumer of news as i know we we both are just in the business um i still value it it just yeah i don't know what we do with all the newspapers if we got them right right exactly now over the on the weekends i do i get the wall street journal delivered on a daily basis just because the way it works is you can't just have a digital only subscription you have to get the paper delivered and i like the wall street journal and then on friday saturday and sunday i get the new york times delivered just because on weekends i have a chance to sit down over a cup of coffee in the morning and, and read it and i still like that but the daily stuff you just you can't do it and i i find myself wondering how newspapers can survive with revenue mike when 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 if if you're if you're selling subscriptions to people for if you're giving it away if you're selling it for thirty or forty dollars a piece, how can you make enough money to hire and pay people in the newsroom? And and the answer is you you can't, which is why you see newspapers across the country just cutting staff right and left. It's it's not a good situation, but it's the reality. And I guess these numbers really really kind of struck me because I can remember back in the day when I first started here and it was journal broadcast group and journal communications and we shared a corporate identity when the circulation weekday and Sunday was was just huge and now it's just kind of disappearing. Go figure. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to reverse it. There are probably smarter. I know there are smarter people than me that are worried about it, but I don't uh, think they have the answers either. And I don't think so either. And, and what really is, stinks is that the people that get you know hurt and cut by this are the editors and are the reporters who right. are telling us the stuff that we as a community need to know. So want to know? Sure. Yeah. So you know that that's things. I, I wish I had a better answer to yeah. I don't know. But no. But these, I just these these no, are new numbers that just came out, and they're kind of they're, they're really just you know head shaking when you look at the these precipitous declines that end up being out there. And then, of course, that's just the circulation aspect. If you look at what revenue from newspapers used to come from, it was you'd have the circulation revenue, you would have the classified ads. I mean, back in the day, you pick up that Sunday paper that Mike was talking about, and you'd have three sections of classified ads. Now, I, I don't even know if they even have classified ads or, or maybe a page or two because it's all over the Internet. Yeah, I can't or, or, or home sales. Right. Weren't there like you, you yeah, you'd open you'd have it a whole and, page of real. Or you'd have you'd have a whole section of real estate listings. No, that's that's not what you do now. You you were looking for a place you go on on the Internet. And and that's not coming back. That That's just the reality. That's gone forever. And then the third um, leg of that three legged stool circulation and classifieds was was regular advertising. But again, it's just a reflection. If if the number of people who are using your product is declining, you you it becomes less and less desirable to advertisers, and you certainly can't charge the rates. It's I, I'm not wishing for the demise of local newspapers, but you just look at this trend and you wonder: Is there going to be home delivery of 
local newspapers five years from now, ten years from now? What is the over-under before they go away? And they are going to go away, I think. Would you pay a fraction more for your digital-only? If they said your digital-only is going to go from 50 bucks to $85, like would, that, would you be open to doing something like that? Um, fair question. Don't know. Um, don't know. I mean, it, and I'm, I'm a bad example because of what I do for a living. I have to be tuned into the yes. news. I mean, I have digital subscriptions also. I mean, for example, I mean, I have a, I have a digital subscription to the LA Times, the Washington Post, New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, and the Madison paper. I mean, but it's, it's what I do for mm-hmm. a living. Same. So I have that. When I stop, doing this whenever that might be i guarantee you i'm i don't know that i'm dropping all of them but i'm dropping a, a bunch of them so i'm i'm a bad example i i don't know i mean if if you're already seeing circulation hemorrhage at at a reasonable at a low price point i'm i'm not sure i'm not sure that people would would say obviously you're going to double the cost of the digital subscription. Don't know, but right, you're like you say. There's there's people that are getting paid a whole bunch of money to try to figure out these problems. <laughs> we just point them out. When we come back, did he deserve to be suspended? I will explain. We will discuss. All right. The question is. Should he have been suspended? Should he be fired? How do you handle this? I'm talking about the story involving a guy named Greg McDermott. If you are a basketball fan or college basketball fan, you probably know the name. He has been the coach at Creighton University for the the last 10 or 11 years. His uh, son, Doug, went on to play or maybe still plays in the NBA. And if you're a Marquette basketball fan, you, you, you know, Creighton comes when they allow fans in the games. Creighton plays in the Big East along with Marquette and comes once a year. All right, so here's the deal. Creighton has and traditionally had and has this year a pretty decent basketball team. They're number two in the Big East, 13 and six in the Big East, 17 and seven overall. They're going to get an NCAA tournament bid. So why why are we talking about him? Well, here's the deal. On um, Saturday, they're playing at Villanova and Villan. Uh, I'm sorry, at Wednesday night. They're playing at Villanova. Villanova is a very, very good team. They were ahead of Creighton in the standings. They're number one in the Big East. They lose. Creighton loses 72 to 60. It's an emotional game. After the game, they're in the locker room. And McDermott, the coach, he's he's giving the, the post-game locker room speech to the team. So there's the assistant coaches. There's the... Um, you know, everybody associated with the program that is traveling on the road is there. And, you know, the Creighton basketball team has has some, you know, African-American players. They've got some white players. He, he's giving the speech. And, and this is after they've just lost this tough game. Here's um, what he ends up saying. He says, guys, we've got to stick together. We need both feet in. I need everybody to stay on the plantation. I can't have anybody leave the plantation. And, and then, so what he's trying to say is we, we can't be too disappointed with this. We need to stick together, right? That, that, that's the, the point he is trying to make. 
with this. And he uses the reference to, we, we need everybody to stay on the plantation. I can't have anybody leave the plantation. Now, after that, the word gets out. And, of course, there is a reaction to this because you you are addressing a, a team that includes African-American players. And you've made the reference to, we, we all need to stay on the plantation. I can't have anybody leave the plantation. I can't, I don't think I've ever, I don't, I have no idea where this expression comes from. I've never even heard the expression, you've got to stay on the plantation. Before the show today, I actually did kind of a Google search because I was trying to find out, is there, is there some history of this? And I'm coming up blank. So I have no reference to this at all. I have no idea where he pulled this from. And my, my guess is he probably has no idea where he pulled this from, but he makes the reference. So in any case, it gets out, it becomes public that he has used the phrase, stay on the plantation. And immediately, the, the school starts its investigation. He issues this apology. The school comes out and says this language is deplorable, and he has now been suspended. And you don't know how long he's going to be suspended. They don't know he might be fired. I mean, right now, he's been suspended a week before the Big East tournament and two weeks before the NCAA tournament. For the reference, I need everybody to stay on the plantation. There is no evidence at all that that there was any sort of racist or malicious intent be, behind this. Um, my, my sense is he's just he's speaking off the cuff and he, he chooses this particular reference in an effort to say, hey, we can't be too disappointed. We need to pull together. We need to stay together. But he says, stay on the plantation. Okay, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, what's the Goldilocks test here? And by that I mean he, he's been suspended. Missed at least one game, will probably miss more. Do you fire him for this? Do you suspend him for the balance of the season? Was it an overreaction to suspend him in the first place once you determine, and I I think they have, that there's not a a malicious sort of intent. It was just a, a bizarre and stupid casual, off-the-cuff remark in a moment of emotion. Did he deserve to be disciplined, and what would the appropriate discipline be? And for the people that were in the room, do you think anybody was really offended by this? I mean, again, and it's, there, there's no history that Greg McDermott has of, of being a, a racist, and I don't think there's anybody that's arguing that that was the intent. He just makes this reference to plantation. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, before we go to the phone, so how do you stand on this, Jeff? Look, here, here's what I think should happen. I think intent matters. And to me, I, I think the guy sort of mixed his metaphors. I, again, I've, I've never heard the, the phrase, you know, stay on the plantation. I, I just I don't know where he pulled that from. But I think intent matters. If it was, in fact, a slip of the tongue in a moment of of, of and especially since if there's no racist intent, and it's not like we're talking about a particular derogatory term. It's not like the N-word or something like that. He he says, stay on the plantation. I, I understand why some people might have been offended by it, I guess. To me, once you determine that, that this there's no intent, there's no history here, it was a slip of the tongue, a mixed metaphor, whatever, he issues an apology. I'm sorry to anybody who did this. To me, that's the end of this. I, the, the need to suspend him, people talking about wanting to fire him for what is a, a slip of the tongue, I think that's where it, it goes into overkill. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, if people were offended by this, truly, he, 
he apologizes. I, I'm, I'm sorry I, I said this. And, and he's even said, I don't know where, where this came from. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Peter in Cedarburg. Peter, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Peter. I, I would agree with you 100%. This is, this is first of all, this whole um, hurt issue is getting a little out of hand, in my opinion. But I do understand it, and I do understand that people are offended by certain things people do. But if you look at the definite of plantation, it means a planting of trees or crops. It doesn't necessarily refer to anything. Um, you can come to my plantation and pick tomatoes anytime you want. I, it's just, yeah. I'm getting but- to the point out. Yeah, but the problem. I mean, thanks for calling. Peter. The problem is, I mean, you, you, when, when you when you're when you're addressing a group that includes a, a and look, and I, I don't know the exact racial makeup of the Creighton basketball team, but when you're addressing a, a group of, that includes probably a good number of African American young men, and you use the word plantation, it, it, it's clearly going to have some of those connotations. But I, I don't think he meant it that way. That see, that's that's the that's the thing. I, I don't think that there was any intention to to reference this to to slavery or to treat the the kids as slaves. I think he was just trying to struggle for a word, and he happened to grasp this one. And that's why I, I do think you have to look at intent and. What's going on here? And if it's a slip of the tongue, and maybe I'm sensitive to this because I'm somebody who makes a living three hours a day in front of an open microphone, and sometimes you're, you're struggling for that metaphor. And you know, I, I don't know where again this one came from. But if people are offended, I think it's appropriate for him to say, "Look, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean anything by this. It was just I, I, it was a poor word choice." I think an apology is sufficient, but this need to. You know, we're going to suspend him for games, or we're we're going to like fire him. What what does that that does, what does that accomplish if this was again just one of these slip of the tongue? And and what does that mean for everybody else? Is everybody just a, a slip of the tongue or a mixed metaphor away from being fired? Let's talk to Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. I don't think he should be suspended. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, got Hello? got you now. Yep, we got oh, you. Okay. So, um, and he was very apologetic when it happened. He kind of said, um, should I be fired? He was asking that question. There was no ill intent. Yep. And what I was telling, what I was saying before is that it reminds me of a situation a couple years ago when there was an announcer um, for Iowa, the University of Iowa, and, okay, be careful uh, here. I'm not going to have to hit. The, I'm not going to have to hit the dump button on you here. Am I? Just, well, well, he well he made a comment. He said, "Look at that." Okay, Yeah, Dave, I'm, I'm going to stop you there just because I I, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with this issue on a Friday afternoon. I, I, don't, I, I think I remember what you were saying, but I, I get it. I guess I, I think when we we deal with this, the cancel culture. I know I talk a lot about that. I, I do think intent has to matter here. And I'm like looking at this story and I'm trying to figure out, you know, was, is there a history of this guy making racist remarks or is this just, he's speaking off the cuff, he mixes his metaphors and uh, all right, I, I could understand why it might have hurt somebody's feelings, maybe. All right, to me, you apologize. And then, then we all kind of move on. And to talk about firing him, or oh, we don't know if we're going to let him coach in the in the games and stuff. What what is if it really was just a slip of the tongue? What does it accomplish? I mean, if you decide that this guy is like really truly a closet racist, well, then then Creighton should fire him. Period. But I don't think anybody thinks that. I think he's probably a pretty good guy who just had that slip of the tongue. To me. 
saying you're sorry in that particular case should be enough. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, Serta Pro Painters, the proven experts in painting. Schedule your free estimate today at SertaPro.com. That's Serta with a C. Now, before we, we move on from the conversation about the Creighton Coach, one thing, I, in, in the course of a given program, if you're a regular listener, I read a lot of the text that we get, and it's a way of interacting. And I, in a given show, eh, it kind of depends on the day, but... Maybe on a slow day, I'll get 250 texts, and, and maybe on a busy day, four or 500. It just, it just kind of all depends on what we're discussing. And I, a lot of the texts are serious. And then there's some people out there that I, I, I just, at least I believe in my heart of hearts, that they send the texts, they just they send them to just to disagree for the sake of disagreeing. And I always try to explain it. It's, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, ah, I'm just I'm just going to I'm going to sit there and whatever Wagner says, I'm going to just say the other thing. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of the, the nature. They, they just disagree for the sake of being disagreeable. They're responding with emotion without thinking through what they're going to well, say. Well, well, you hope so. I mean, but but again, it, it's kind of like, and, and that that's that's fine. It all kind of comes with the territory, and it, it's kind of like, well, I, I hope they're really not serious about it. Again, I hope they're just kind of being a troll and, and responding, and that and that's fine. That that's okay. I get paid a bunch of money. I I don't mind that. Um, but so we were talking again in that last section about the the Creighton coach, who in a, a, a speech after a, a tough loss. In a, a mixed audience, a mixed racial audience, he's like struggling for words. His effort is to say, "Hey, we need all need to we need to pull together. We need to come through this. We need to we, don't don't stray from the plantation." And and I, again, nobody even knows where this kind of comes from. He just grabs a word out there, and and I, at least I don't know if anybody was legitimately offended. But again, I I understand that you know you've got a, a group that includes African American players and using the plantation. Don't leave the plantation. Okay, I. I, I get that, that there may be an issue there. He says he's sorry. There's no history of racism. There's no intent. It's just a guy that clearly grabbed a, a, a an inappropriate grabbed a word that in that context was was wrong. All right. So to me, he apologizes. That should be the end of it. All right. Some other people say, well, no, he should be suspended. Okay, that that's fine. Here here's my favorite text of the day, Jeff. You still don't get it. Intent doesn't matter. Fire his butt, although the texter doesn't say butt. You still don't get it. Intent doesn't matter. And I guess, again, I, I kind of read these things, and I, I sort of wonder, right, I, I, again, I, I hope this person is just like being a troll and just trying to disagree for the sake of, of being disagreeable, which, which is all well and good. Intent doesn't matter. So you know, anybody anywhere who misspeaks in any sort of fashion and says something that somebody else could find to be objectionable. The intent doesn't matter. The history doesn't matter. You get fired. You get canceled. That's the scary thing about the cancel culture is that there are people like that that, that are that are out there. And again, it just you, you again. I, I when I read stuff like this, I kind of think, okay, maybe this person is just again trying to be disagree for the sake of being disagreeable. That's okay. I get it. As opposed to we're going to fire everybody who uses a word that in the context is inappropriate and says, "See, I'm sorry. I apologize for that." But that apology is not good enough. A suspension's not good enough. No, you can't have your career. Yeah, I don't get it. You're exactly right. I don't get that because to me, intent does in fact matter particularly in deciding, you know, the punishment for things. It's like, and I've been saying this for decades, it's like these zero tolerance policies that are out there where 
the young girl who is having her period brings, I don't know, my doll or something to school. And we, we say, OK, well, you, you brought drugs to school here. You have to you know, you're, you're going to be suspended from the school or you're going to be expelled. You treat her the same way you treat the kid that's selling heroin out of the, the boy's bathroom. It's like, no, you, you intent does matter. And you have to look at context. All right. Which brings me to the the ongoing controversy involving Dr. Seuss. Now, we talked about this a couple days ago in the program. I think everybody knows the story. Um, as part of the Read Across America program, you know, Dr. Seuss books, The Cat in the Hat, etc., they, they've been regularly featured. There are, a, Dr. Seuss was born in 1904. And as we've gone through this, he um, he was an editorial cartoonist during the war. He, you know, did cartoons that um, and some of the drawings that he used have caricatures that are by today's standards uh, offensive. You know, it was something that in, uh, for example, in, in the height of World War Two, when we're fighting Japan, you know, you would look at almost any newspaper cartoonist that depicted, you know, our, our enemy and they would be these unflattering stereotypical characters. Okay, and, and, and that's the environment that Dr. Seuss came up in. Dr. Seuss was a big-time lefty, big-time environmentalist. He wrote books about discrimination before, uh, you know, before people were actually even tuned into this sort of thing. But he has some books out there, about a half dozen of them, that, yes, if you look at some of the drawings, you see caricatures that are stereotypical and certainly – Racist, and maybe they were racist by 1950 standards. They're certainly racist by 2021 standards. Okay, so let let us accept that. So some of these libraries are saying we're not going to participate in reading even stuff from the non-racist stuff because, gee, Dr. Seuss has a half dozen books where you've got this that's out there. So we've got to cancel, you know, Dr. Seuss. We're not going to necessarily pull the books from the shelves, the ones that don't have offensive material in them, but we're, we're not going to honor Dr. Seuss by reading from Green Eggs and Ham or greed, reading from The Cat in the Hat. I, I think that's an overreaction. Well, the overreaction continues. The Dr. Seuss Foundation has decided we're no longer going to publish these six books that we've identified as having stereotypical or, or racist character characterizations in them. So say we're not we're not going to publish them. Fine. All right. Once they made that announcement, what happened is the sales of Dr. Seuss books went through the roof. I mean, the, you, and, and it's mostly the mainstream books, again, Cat in the Hat and Horton Hears a Who and those sort of things, has just gone absolutely through the roof. Well, what's happened is some people who have copies of the books that are no longer going to be published have recognized that, hey, it's a supply and demand thing. So they're starting to try to sell these half dozen books and they're putting them up on eBay and they're getting bids for them. eBay announced yesterday that they are they are canceling these books. So in other words, if you are trying to sell one of the six books that the Seuss Foundation is no longer going to publish, you're not going to be able to do it. It's been delisted. The books have been delisted by eBay. Now, it's a bigger issue than, than Dr. Seuss because as of yesterday, at least, after they announced that you're delisting the, the Dr. Seuss books on eBay, what happens is people start looking at some of the other books on eBay. For example, you could, at least as of yesterday, buy Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler's book on eBay. You could buy a series of other books on eBay, all that have arguably offensive conduct. 
Our number, eight, uh, content, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My question is, where where does this stop? Is is there a certain point where we, we, we start to wonder, okay, who gets to make these various decisions about what people can sell and what they can't sell? Now, I understand eBay's a business. eBay can decide whatever they want. But do you want eBay being the censor? Do you want eBay being the institution that says, okay, this book is okay to sell. That book is not okay to sell. This painting, this drawing is okay to sell. This one isn't. This CD is okay to resell. This one isn't. I mean, at some point in time, does it scare anybody else that we're we're kind of moving towards like one of the, these Ray Bradbury futures of of where we're going to have the big parties and, and we're burning the books that are unacceptable and we're destroying the records that are unacceptable? And, 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 and who makes that decision? If I want to if I have some rap albums from the 1990s that have a lot of what people would describe as offensive language and you could argue like for example glorify the shooting of police officers should i be able to am i, am I no longer able to to sell that i mean where who draws the line i guess eBay has a right to do whatever it wants, but if you're going to delist Dr. Seuss, these six Dr. Seuss books, and I have no interest in buying them, but if you're going to delist these, I mean, you're, there's got to be a lot of other stuff on eBay that you're going to go through the process of delisting. Is, is it scary? Is this the cancel culture run a buck? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And where does it end? We discuss in just a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And understand that this isn't. I mean, eBay—they run their company; they can decide what they want to take off. That—that—that's their decision. But but doesn't this scare anybody? I, I mean, and and again, what, where is the consistency here? Okay, we're we're not going to allow people to resell these six Doctor Seuss books, but but yet. Okay, we're, you, you can buy the Hitler book, or you can buy this book, or you can buy the rap albums that have all the bad language and the, the arguable, the, the lyrics that encourage shooting police officers. All right, who makes this particular decision? And is this, is it really about, gee, um, you know, we, we don't think people should be able to resell this particular item, or is it because, well, okay, th- this is, Whatever happened, I guess, to the, the right of people to, to be offended and the right of of art to offend. And look, I don't want to buy these books. I don't care if they publish them or not. But, you know, I'm worried about where this is leading. And I'm sorry if, if you don't see that you, you should, because th- this ultimately, I mean, I'm just picturing the, these giant ceremonies where we're going to have some mass decider who's going to decide this is politically correct and this stays and, and this doesn't stay and this idea of sanitizing all the stuff. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Yeah, and I think that person who would be deciding that is someone on the left. Unfortunately, so much of this is coming from the left. Um, you know, what you were talking about in your last segment about the coach, I think what he was trying to say was about a re- don't leave the reservation. That's the phrase that I've heard in the past. Right, which would, be, which would probably be arguably inappropriate to say as, as, exactly. as well. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, that would be a that, – that's, again, an archaic term that, you know, but, right, he, he was mixing his metaphor, right. That, that would be an inappropriate I, I, term I as well. 
Exactly. I have, a, I have great concern about what's going on. You've been talking about it for a while, um, and it's just getting worse. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, the inability to size uh, free speech um, and share information is going to take away. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're, we, we lost your cell phone there, Mike. Well, I, it, it, it the, one of the, the key tenets of this country has been that, that there has been this right of free speech. And again, I, I understand free speech is it, it's the government. The eBay pulling the stuff isn't the government doing that. But it's it's one step removed from that when you have these big companies that are now deciding this is going to be appropriate and this isn't going to be appropriate. Here's a text, Jeff. I watched Dean Martin celebrate celebrity roast uh, the last weekend. He said and did things that would not be allowed today. Nobody was was offended. I mean, I remember, remember Don Rickles, the, the the great comedian. Well, Don Rickles did did this shtick. That, you know, I, I saw him a couple months before he passed away. He was at Potawatomi and, and he was still doing the same shtick from the 70s that was uncomfortable. It was clearly racist. It was clearly offensive. Well, OK, does, does that mean you, you can't sell the Don Rickles videotapes anymore? And, and and who gets to decide that? And again, do we really want do we really want, whether it's businesses or whatever, going through and deciding on a case by case basis that this is this is appropriate and you know this this isn't appropriate and and now you know you you, you can't have the dr seuss stuff but you can have mind comp or, or whatever it's just it's the whole idea of book burning and the limitation of the freedom of I, of ideas and again i could care less whether anybody buys any of these dr seuss books or 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 whatever i mean i that you know who who cares if people want to buy them but the idea that they've now become so toxic that you can't you can't even sell them to somebody else because again you know why what what what's the thing we can't even have this exchange of ideas anymore it it's so toxic that we we can't even allow somebody else to be exposed to them in any sense where i i ask this rhetorically but it's a serious question where does this all end i mean where does it all end and at some point in time is it for those who are on the left who enjoy this stuff and say, okay, well, no, we, we, we've got to eliminate this and we've got to ban these books and all those things. That, that's, that's fine. But as I often talk about on this program, you have to understand there, there's a pendulum that, that swings, you know, back and, back and forth. And, you know, we, we saw this again in the nineties. Let's go back to the example that I was using about when, when you had the explosion of some of the, like the gangster rap stuff and all. And there was incredible pressures from the right to let, let's ban these records. Let, let's destroy these records. How dare you have these performers who are using this kind of language and, and, and having this type of content. And then there was a blowback then from the left. No, this is is inhibiting they've got a right to do it. It, it it's art well all right just keep in mind for everybody who's saying yeah we need to cancel this or cancel that you know 10 years from now that the tides could change and it could be going after other stuff as as well and if you're not worried about that and you're not slightly scared about it i'm here to tell you 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 should be back with more in just a minute <laughs> The smell of fresh cut grass and the crack of a bat? Ah, yes, Milwaukee Brewers baseball is back. 
Join Matt Pauley next Wednesday at 6 o'clock to get your first good look at the new crew. Hear from Craig Council, Colton Wong, Keston Hira, David Stearns, and many more. It's a Brewers Spring Training special next Wednesday at 6 o'clock on WTMJ. Before we move away from the, the, the eBay story, one, one of our texters makes an interesting point. Jeff, I am told that eBay lists many back issues of Playboy and Penthouse magazines. My guess is they, I, I, well, I, I don't know. My guess is maybe they have even harder stuff on there, like, like Hustler and stuff. But anyhow, Jeff, um, eBay lists many back issues of Playboy and Penthouse magazine. Aren't these considered to be offensive by many people? Yeah, that's, that's a, a very good question. I mean, again, if, if we're going to say, okay, you, you can't, you can't sell these six Dr. Seuss books. All right, fine. You can sell Mein Kampf. But you can't sell these six Dr. Seuss books. I mean, again, where do you draw the line? Why are we selling Playboys? Why are we selling Penthouse? If they're selling things like Hustler, why are you selling that as well? And you understand, I guess my point is not whether, hey, let's let's go buy a Playboy on eBay or let's go buy a Penthouse magazine on eBay or, you know, let's go buy a Dr. Seuss book on eBay. It's the fact that you've got this organization that's now bowing to, again, the, the political pressure and deciding, okay, we're going to make the decision this is too offensive to be able to sell. And pretty soon you wonder what what's going to be left. It's okay to sell, you know, this rap album if you want on eBay, but it's not okay to sell the Playboy. It's not okay to sell the Dr. Seuss. Don't you see the problem that this leads to? All right, right now we are scheduled to be joined after the top of the news by, by U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. I don't honestly know if that's going to occur because of everything that's going going on in the Senate floor today. But if all goes as planned, we'll be back with Ron Johnson in about 10 minutes or so. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. It's my pleasure to be joined right now by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator Johnson, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, hope you're well. I I am well. What's where where does the bill stand? What's going on on the Senate floor? I was I was kind of wondering whether you'd be able to make this call. Is the Senate still in session debating the COVID bill? Well, we had time agreement to start Votorama around uh, eleven thirty, and we've taken one vote right now. Nor- normally, once you get into Votorama, there's you know two minutes of debate, equally divided by each side, and you just crank through these these amendments once every you know fifteen minutes. We've been on stall now for two or three hours. So uh, I'm not sure what's happening between leadership. They're trying to work something out. Good enough. Senator, let me, let, let's start off. The, um, at your insistence, the, the Senate clerks read the entire text of the 628-page bill. That took approximately 10 hours, knocked off around 2.05 a.m. this morning, D.C. time. What was the point that you were trying to make in requiring the bill to be read? First of all, it was just short of 11 hours, and I was on the floor the entire time. And I didn't even have the bill right off the bat. It took me a little while before I got the bill, and then I just followed along. That's that's the way I decided to read it. Uh, but had I not done that, what uh, Chuck Schumer would have done is he would have limited debate. We probably would have had the Votorama last night before anybody had a chance to read it, before our staffs could have poured through it to try and interpret it. Now, I hope anybody that, that listened to the reading of that bill realized how incomprehensible these bills are on their face. You have to study a piece of legislation, and that takes time. You've got to go into the archives. You've got to get you know, the, the other titles, the other, other piece of legislation that they refer to that they're striking a, a, a word out of or, or a sentence out of. 
you know, th- this was complex information, and Chuck Schumer wanted to jam this through, uh, force, force the Votorama, tire everybody out so that the last night about 2 or 3 o'clock, and again, we ended up about 2 o'clock, uh, everybody would have been all tired out, tired out, they would have thrown up their hands, the Democrats would have passed it, and we would have burdened our children with another $1.9 trillion without any type of legitimate debate, no deliberate process whatsoever. So I just forced at least 11 hours to give everybody a chance to at least read it, to give our staffs a chance to study it, and start crafting uh, effective, hopefully, uh, amendments uh, that we are starting to vote on right now, but now there's some kind of snag holding up right now because, again, this is complex. Well, my, my question, Senator, would be, did, did, did any of that happen? I mean, I, I was looking at, at some of the, the, the C-SPAN stuff and all, and I, I didn't get the sense that there were too many people, too many of your colleagues that were actually you know, reading along like you were doing, you know, line for line. I, I didn't get the sense that there was a lot of people saying, okay, we're going to use this 10 hours to, to, to craft arguments. Everything I read suggests that this is pretty much a done deal. Well, that may be true from the Democrat standpoint, but I had a lot of colleagues that wanted to join me on the floor and I said, no, go home and rest. Uh, you know, I've, I've kind of got a plan for us to uh, make sure that every vote gets, every amendment gets voted on. And their time was much better spent going back to their office, working with their staffs, talking to their staffs about different sections of the bill to craft amendments. So, no, I'm, I'm sure my colleagues, at least on the Republican side, are working pretty long and hard on this. So I, I gave, them that, gave them that 11 hours and it's turning into really 24 hours. And, and, Jeff, you have to understand how insane that is. One of the analogies I'm using is back in 1993, uh, Bill Clinton introduced, uh, you know, through his uh, allies in the Senate, a $19.5 billion Dollar supplemental appropriations bill, nineteen and a half billion. That's pretty controversial back then. Nineteen and a half billion dollars, kind of a stimulus. And if you remember, that was right before the economy took off on its own with dot dot uh, com bubble, or, or you know that economy. And they, the Senate debated that nineteen and a half billion dollar bill for twelve days. In that deliberative process, they whittled it down to four billion dollars, and the bill passed unanimously. That that's the way the Senate used to operate. There was a real deliberative process. There, there were amendments that people could actually offer. But this $1.9 trillion monstrosity never even went through committee process. Nobody's seen that other than what we saw the House did, but it was a substitute amendment. There are many uh, similar provisions, but there's, there's all new stuff in, in the Senate version, and that takes time to actually uh, understand it. And then, as I said, craft amendments that, that maybe you can get bipartisan support for. You know, this, this is not a COVID relief bill. There is the, fir- the first thing I noticed sitting there listening before I actually had my copy is how many times they mentioned the year 2022 and 2023 and 2025 and 2028. That's not emergency spending. This literally is a Democrat, liberal, progressive wish list of appropriations that they couldn't pass through an annual appropriation process. So they're front loading it and they're, they're passing multi-year appropriations for their their pet projects. Now, Senator, there, there have been some changes to this that I assume you approve of that are coming out of the Senate. For example, the the minimum wage requirements been done away with. The 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 um, payments to people, the income threshold has been lowered. So, I, I I mean, is there some good stuff that's at least at least good changes that are coming out of this? That's as a result of of the Senate having to look at this. Well, just about any change that whittles it down is good, but it doesn't mean that the end result is still going to be good. You know, talk about direct payment checks, Jeff. Let me give you the facts on that. You know, that during the depth 
of the COVID recession, we were down 25 million jobs from the record high number of jobs in January 2020. Right now, we're about 10 million jobs down. And yet the first two uh, tranches of direct payment checks, totaling close to a half a trillion dollars, went to 166 million Americans. Again, we're down 10 million jobs, but the checks went to 166 million Americans. Per capita, real disposable income is up 5.5%. Total savings up $1.6 trillion. The bottom quintile, the lowest 20% of wage earners, on average receive $45,000 in some kind of transfer payment from you know close to 100 uh, welfare programs and tax credits. Our economy is just ready to take off, and even liberal economists are a little concerned about a further injection of another $1.9 trillion could spark inflation, overheat the economy. And, and oh, by the way, just a little quick little aside, of the $4 trillion, 18% of our economy that we've already passed for COVID relief, approximately a trillion dollars is still not spent. This makes no sense. If there, and I don't doubt there are people still hurting, it's because we've done a poor job of directing the relief to the people who actually need it. Instead, we sent it to so many people that didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Senator, you you were on CNN yesterday or two days ago, and, and, and the the money quotation was, you, you say you, you think it's obvious that you're the number one target here, and that people are out to destroy me. What what did you mean by that? Well, I think that's true. Again, I was I was uh, reacting to a I couldn't shake Manu Raju, their their uh, Capitol Hill reporter. So he's walking back all the way to the office, and he's just asking me. A bunch of questions. I said, well, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. This is the Saul Alinsky technique. You isolate somebody and you destroy them. I think it's pretty obvious they think they can pick up this U.S. Senate seat. And so they are bound determined to destroy me. So they put words in my mouth. They write articles, as, by the way, Manu did, with a number of false claims, things I never said, never did, motives they attribute to me that are just simply not true. They they say, "I'm, I'm a conspiracy theorist. No, I'm not. I'm just seeking the truth. Uh, it, it's, it's actually pretty fascinating to be in my position to know exactly what I said, exactly what I meant, and then watch the mainstream media craft completely false narratives, completely false headlines, and put false claims in their stories that, unfortunately, too many, too many Americans, they're unsuspecting, they don't know the truth. They just assume those things are true. Okay, Senator, is, 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 let me let me ask you a couple of those questions. Just, just you and I, okay? So, with unfiltered, there's you, there's a lot of headlines. Matter of fact, I have a whole stack of stories saying that that Senator Ron Johnson believes the the election was stolen. Do, do you believe the election was stolen? I've never, to my knowledge, used those words. I think there are irregularities that raise legitimate concerns. You know, observers not being able to observe. Uh, again, I, I, I believe we should not have scornfully dismissed those. I, I think my comms person sent you, for example, my opening statement right. in the hearing that I held. And again, I, I didn't, the title of the hearing wasn't the Eli Stolen Election. It was Examining Irregularities of the 2020 Election. I think you, know, you have courts that overruled state legislatures. The Constitution grants, actually gives a responsibility to state legislators to set the times, places, and manner of elections. And yet the Ninth Circuit overruled a 30-year law in Arizona. The Maricopa County Board of, of Elections completely ignored the state Senate as they tried to obtain the, the backup on, on election night. So those are legitimate concerns. The fact that the Carter-Baker Commission said that absentee ballots was probably the number one uh, opportunity for fraud, and yet 
we doubled the absentee ballots while we loosened all these controls. These are legitimate issues, legitimate concerns, and that's all I've ever talked about. But as you just said, people put words in my mouth and say that I think that, that I've said the election was stolen. No, the minute, the minute almost that the Electoral College grant, you know, voted and gave uh, Vice President Biden 306 votes, I said, yeah, he's president-elect now. And I saw no scenario whatsoever that any of those electoral votes would be disallowed in Congress. Mm-hmm. Now, I, don't know how, I don't know how much I've got a pretty clear record on this. Okay, and one of the other things, then related to that, over the course of the last week or so, there's been a number of stories out there that either express, say expressly or imply that you you perhaps believe that whatever we want to call what happened on January 6th, the, the riots, insurrection, whatever term you want to use, what was caused not by Trump supporters, but maybe by like anti-Trump forces or Antifa or things like that. What, what, how do you really feel about that? Totally. I've never said that. Okay, what, what I did is I entered into the record an eyewitness account by a very knowledgeable observer, James Michael Waller. He, he's a former instructor of the Naval Postgraduate School that former chief of police of the Capitol Hill, uh, Stephen Sun, went to that school. He's current instructor at the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center and school at Fort Bragg. So he, he, he was there. And before he looked at any news articles whatsoever, he wrote his eyewitness account. And I thought it was pretty interesting because it's a slightly, it's a quite a bit different narrative than what we're hearing in terms of a, you know, thousands of armed insurrectionists. And by the way, I've also amused the fact that when I hear of armed insurrection, I do think of firearms. And of course, the last hearing, I just asked the FBI uh, witness, you know, how many firearms were confiscated? Because you'd think in an armed insurrection, you'd probably confiscate a few firearms, right? She said none. Now, I think Byron New York has reported that later that night, there was one person arrested with a firearm on him, so that's one. But again, words matter, and so no, I have, you know, this J. Michael Waller was talking about four distinct groups of people that didn't fit in to the Trump crowd, and he wrote, just writes about it. He, he also he he did make the false, he, he falsely or incorrectly presumed that one group might have been. You know, Antifa dressed up as Trump supporters. But again, that was that was his conclusion, and, and he would even admit it's wrong today, right. because now the evidence is that it was the Proud Boys, it was the Oath Keepers. As we gather information, we're, we're getting, we're, we're starting to assemble what actually happened. I'm just trying to determine the truth, and I think the way you get the truth is get eyewitness testimony from different people, different perspectives, different vantage points. I think what we will find out too is is it really was. Uh, a, a group of very determined, you know, they, they definitely were communicating with each other, people that knew how to use a crowd and funnel them into certain areas and, and basically turn a, a small percentage of that enormous crowd into the mob that's throwing the Capitol. Mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, in general, we're finding more and more. I mean, Norwich Times writes about that. Washington Post writes about that. There's an eyewitness from Slate. So, again, I, what I entered in the record, I think, is going to prove to be pretty accurate assessment, maybe a, a couple incorrect uh, assumptions by that one eyewitness account. But I, I never said that I agreed with the eyewitness account. I just entered his account in the record. And now, all of a sudden, I'm a conspiracy theorist. Again, that's the false claims of the news media bent on trying to, again, they're trying to marginalize me. No, I don't have a prosecution complex on this. It's just what is happening. And I'm, I'm, I'm an eyewitness to it. I know what I mean, and I see the false claims 
for the news media attaches to me. Right. To, to that point, Senator, before we move on, I, I do – the, the, when, you, when you made the, the remarks about the, the armed insurrection, which drew all sorts of attention, I, I think, last week, I, I guess my, my question would be, does, is it a distinction without a difference? I mean, we, we all saw what happened on January 6th, and, and we saw insurrection, riot, whatever term we want to use. D- does it, in trying to assess it, does it really make any difference whether there was one gun or three guns or whatever? I mean, we saw a mob that stormed the Capitol. I guess my question is, by getting hung up on that word armed, do we do we invite do you invite some of the the criticism saying okay well he's he's missing the forest for the trees perhaps no no actually it's very important but again it's 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 really bizarre because all I was doing when I said that is picking up on a point that the because I was talking about the trial this was Monday after the trial right. just gotten back my impression of the trial so you know one thing that did resonate with me was when the president's defense team said armed insurrection is that really the right term for what happened. Um, but the reason it's important now in hindsight, I mean, the way the, all of a sudden that became a national news story, I mean, that, nothing shocks me, but that actually surprised me. But the reason they're pushing back is because there is a narrative that the left wants. And the narrative is, generally, the 74 million Americans that, vote, that voted for President Trump are potentially domestic terrorists and armed insurrectionists. Mm-hmm. And so they want... They want to create this impression of people that weren't there, that you only see the, the video of the points of right. conflict. They, they don't see the tens of thousands of Trump supporters that actually were pretty festive. You know, wh- one advantage I have over, for example, Senator Klobuchar, I've been to Trump rallies. I know the people. But the reason I wasn't concerned on January 6th is these are Trump supporters. They love law enforcement. They, they would never break a law. They love America. They are joyful. They are festive at Trump rallies. This is a big Trump rally, but it got turned into by these provocateurs, by these agitators, into something very ugly that I completely condemn. But I think it is important. If, if people are trying to create an impression that there literally were thousands of armed insurrectionists trying to violently overthrow the U.S. government, I don't think that's what happened. I think what happened is you had these agitators, I don't know how many dozens, and a, and a crowd that, you know, and part, part of the eyewitness testimony is a friendly crowd that all of a sudden gets tear gas, blow, you know, shot into it. You know, a tear gas canister hitting a young woman in the face, opening up blood. The mood of that crowd changed pretty dramatically. I'm not blaming law enforcement, but I'm just I'm explaining how could this happen with the Trump crowd? Well, you get some agitators. They may be Trump supporters, but they're not Trump supporters that I know. And they're not Trump supporters that I would ever uh, want to accept into my tent, and I would condemn their actions. Senator, you are up for re-election in 2022, and as we talked about earlier, are perhaps the, the number one target of Democrats in an effort to swing a seat. Are you planning to run for re-election? And if you haven't decided, when do you think we can expect that decision? Well, I truthfully have not decided, and I don't think I have to decide any side anytime soon, quite honestly. The, the only people who want me to decide right now are consultants. And, you know, particularly the consultants of other people that may want to run for the U.S. Senate seat, they'd like to start raising money and start making money right off the bat. I think I'll save everybody a lot of money by just just holding tight and make a decision where I'm ready to. Remember, Jeff, I I didn't decide to run until the end of April 2010, announced mid-May. That seemed to work out pretty well. These elections are way too long. They spend way too much money. And in the last couple cycles, some of these U.S. Senate seats have cost $100 million, that is grotesque. 
It is absurd, and it's money primarily all wasted. So I'll, I'll save everybody a lot, a lot, a lot of money, and I'll, I'll make my decision when I think I need to. Well, and Senator, that's your right. Can I can I ask you a follow up on that? As long as we're, we're talking, and that, that's of course your right. But as of now, there are two Democrats who have announced that they're running against you, and there, there's a whole slew of others that I guess are going to you know coming forward. They're all raising money on the Republican side. I, I think everybody's waiting to see what you decide to do. If if you wait a year, you wait a year and a half, whatever that's going to be, that that's a lost opportunity for candidates on the no, Republican Jeff, side. Jeff, it really isn't, because people in a primary aren't going to be able to raise much money anyway. And you saw when it comes right down to it, you're going to have the money you need. I mean, look at how much money they raised just for Georgia. So no, I just that's just not true. And, and trust me, I've I've raised money. I, I know how the game works, and I also know how. The only people benefiting right now would be the consultants. But no, let, let Democrats knock themselves out. You know, the more the merrier. But let them waste money. Let, let them run a bunch of, you know, spend millions of dollars attacking me. You know, I'll take the slings and arrows. So no timetable on that decision as of this point? No, I, I really don't have to decide anytime soon. It's just not necessary. God. Senator Johnson, I really do expect I, I know that you've got a lot going on and I really do appreciate you spending some time and answering some of these questions. I hope we can set up a time sometime in the future to revisit some other stuff and maybe even some lighter things, if that's possible. I'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot of light things here in the future, but Jeff, I always appreciate the opportunity. OK, take, take care. Thank you very much. That's uh, that's Senate, senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Let's take a break. Uh, we have just posted the on our podcast page at 620WTMJ.com, the Wagner podcast page. We just to- posted the, the entire text, the complete interview with Senator Ron Johnson. Um, covered a lot of a lot of different ground. And I, I, I understand the senator feels that he's been unfairly filtered by aspects of the media. And I was trying to ask him a couple questions about that. Uh, one of the areas that I, I will tell you up front I, I disagree with the senator on is is the the decision about running or not and and simply because if he decides he wants to run again that that's fine that's great if he decides he wants to leave and again I'm whatever he does it's his decision but if he decides it wants to leave it's it's does take a while for candidates to emerge for candidates to build organizations etc like I say if he's going to run for re-election again he's going to be the Republican nominee in the state of Wisconsin and then it's fine if he decides that he's going to you know go do something else which is his right as well it does take time for other candidates like I say to emerge and and yes do they pay consultants yes but they also raise money they go out they they meet the grassroots and, and that's all on hold and so if the senator were to decide that he did not want to run again, no, I, I do think it would be in the best interest, certainly of people who want to see Republicans keep that seat, for for him to make that decision sooner rather than later. Now, nobody could force him to do it. That's just the way I see it. You've heard the incredibly compelling stories. Now you'll have a chance to make a real difference in the fight against congenital heart defects. Be here this afternoon from 4 to 5 during Wisconsin's Afternoon News for a special Radiothon where we'll be raising funds for the Children's Heart Foundation. We need each and every one of you to help. So please text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to the Acunet Mortgage Talk text line at 855-616-1620. And... 
Be here today at 4 for this culminating WTMJ Cares Radiothon powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum and sponsored by Professional Construction, Inc. This has been the, the brainchild and uh, of, of our very own Greg Matzik, who's certainly taken the laboring war with all this over the course of the last couple of weeks. And Greg's going to join us in about a half hour or so to talk a little bit about it in advance of the Radiothon this afternoon. Um, once again, as we mentioned, the, the full interview with U.S. Senator Ron Johnson is now posted on the Wagner podcast page. You just go to WTMJ.com and right at the top they've got podcasts and mine happens to be the top one at the list. So you can just click on it and you can hear it and again decide for yourself. All right. Let us let us switch gears. In California, and I, and I mentioned this is California because I understand people roll their eyes and say it's California. But but you got to understand what happens in California a lot of times is a precursor to what happens in other parts of the country, namely like places like Madison. So here is the story. There is a new bill that has been introduced that has a lot of support under the bill. California's large retailers would have to do away with boy and girl signage for toys and child care aisles. Yes, you you heard this correctly. Under the bill, Assembly Bill 1084, it would require retailers with 500 or more employees. So we're talking, think Target, think Walmart, think Costco, all those things. Would require retailers with 500 or more employees to maintain undivided areas of its sales floor where the majority of those items being offered are displayed, regardless of whether an item has traditionally been marked for either girls or for boys. So let us explain. Instead of walking into, think about the old Toys R Us. I know they don't have Toys R Us anymore, but you know, you'd have like an aisle that had things like trucks and stuff like that that was kind of sort of designated sort of a boys area. And then you had another aisle that had maybe dolls and stuff that was designated as kind of a girls area under the law. You would not, if you were a retailer, be able to do this. You would not be able to separate traditional girls' toys from traditional boys' toys and then mark them. So you'd have to mix up the dolls with the the trucks or, or whatever. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry, my, my head is once again about to explode on on this. Do we really want the government... Now telling retailers that you cannot divide stuff based on on gender. And and where do you draw the line? I mean, the the other day I I was in the greeting card section at one of the the local drugstores. And, of course, you know, the greeting cards have things, you know, birth for cards, birthday for, you know, girls, birthday for boy. They've got them, them divided up because it makes it for most people easier instead of having to look through all the stuff gee i've got a i've got a niece i i want to i i don't want to have to go through and sort out all the cards that might not apply do we need the government telling retailers that you're not allowed to uh, again be gender specific as you display stuff 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line my answer would be 
Again, no. And nobody is saying that you can't buy a seven-year-old girl a Tonka truck. And nobody is saying that you can't buy a seven-year-old boy a, a Chatty Cathy doll or, or whatever. You, you can do that. But this idea that we, we can't we can't mix these, we have to mix this up, we can't separate this stuff, and we're going to tell retailers that as a matter of law. Give me a break. 855-616-1620. We discuss. So there's a bill moving through the California legislature, and it could happen here too, which would make it illegal for retailers to have areas in toy departments and child care sections devoted to boys and girls. So the idea would be you, you couldn't have a boys, boys aisle that had trucks and things like that and a girls aisle that had dolls. You, you, you couldn't do that. And, I, and you couldn't market theoretically by blue and, and, and pink, etc. Everything would have to be intermixed. You would be subject to a fine of, get this, up to $1,000 for each violation. Do we really need the government telling retailers that you can't have a boys aisle and you can't have a girl's aisle. And by the way, last time I checked, like I say, if, if you've got a little girl that wants the Tonka truck, you can buy that Tonka truck. If you've got a little boy that wants the Chatty Cathy doll, you can buy him a Chatty Cathy doll. There's nothing that says that. But do we need the government saying what kind of aisles you can have? And my answer would be no. Let's talk to Ben on the north side. Ben, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how's it going, Al? Hi, Ben. Hey, when I when I hear these stories, I, I you know I always just wonder who who is fighting for this stuff with all the things going on in the world. Who's fighting? Who's putting up money? Who's donating money to get these things passed and these this legislation pushed through? Who 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 is even thinking about this stuff to fight for it? Well, it's interesting. This is being pushed um, in California. I, I'm looking it up right now. It's co-authored by an assemblyman who chairs the California Legislative LGBT Caucus, which raises an interesting issue to me, Ben. Of all the different real issues that probably affect, you know, um, again, people in the LGBT community, this is what you want to fight for. We don't want you to have a boys' aisle and a girls' aisle at, at Target of toys. Give me a break. <laughs> What what difference does it make? I mean, you know, regardless if you're going to be gay or not. Yeah. Right. Why do Why do you have to erase boy and girl to be gay or not? Like I I don't understand why they even why Why are they even fighting against this? I mean, I hear the same the same story when it comes down to the transgender right. sports people. You know, when feminists should be outraged that that men are actually going to put on a dress and benefit from. From their feminism, and it's like they're going to be the main benefactors, benefactors from their feminism, and not even real women. And they, you know, they, I think that they they should look at this as a setup, and people should be outraged that they they're pushing it to. Right. Well, make guess, men and women non-existent. You right. know what well, I mean? I, ben, I, and I, I don't want to get too far down. We we talked about that the other day, and I don't want to I don't want to revisit kind of the transgender stuff. But but look, here's the here's the fact of the matter. The reason why why do retailers have a boy's aisle and a girl's aisle. And what what's the reason? It is for the convenience of the shoppers because for and again at, at the risk of being stereotypical there, there's nothing that says that you can't buy boy quote unquote traditional boys toys for girls or traditional girls toys for boys. There's nothing to do that. But it, typically it it is a convenience for the shoppers. If I go in and I'm looking for a toy for my um, well, my my nephew is now 14, so he's kind of outgrown the toys. But let's say when when Alex was seven, okay, and Alex 
Alex liked traditional boys sort of stuff. And, and that, that's just the way it was. So it's a convenience to me to say, Hey, I, I want to, I want to find, I want to find the aisle where you've, you've got the truck. So they, they've got it marked as, okay, this is the boys toys or this is the blue area. All right. So it just, it's a convenience to shoppers to make it easier for them to find what they're looking for as opposed to we've got to intersperse all this type of stuff. And heaven forbid that we should at least make it easy for people because, well, it, it might be a non-traditional thing. Now, again, I, I don't, I don't care what you buy the kids. I, it doesn't make any difference to me at all. It's the idea that the government is going to insist on telling retailers you can't label this stuff this way. And to Ben's first point that I think was excellent, what, you, you got to tell me, you mean to tell me that this is the issue? That this is where we want to spend time and oxygen fighting, given what I think are a lot of real issues involving discrimination and stuff that do affect people in the LGBT community. Let's talk to Danny in West Dallas. Hi, Danny. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thanks. What do you think? Oh, my gosh. Just more California senselessness. Um, just what you said, you know, with the convenience of shopping, that makes it so much easier, you know, having it separated. Now, what I'm scared of is what is this going to lead to? Now, okay, all of a sudden when I'm shopping for underwear, i got to... I got to wait around between the women's bras and so on <laughs> right. to find what I'm shopping for. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good. You, you can't have a women's underwear section separated from a men's underwear section, or or in the greeting cards section, you you can't separate things by you know like husband and, and wife, or you can't have the birthday cards for boys versus the birthday cards for girls. You have to have them all mixed in. G- give me a break. I mean, the reason they do that is to make it easier for people like me or you, Danny, to go in and find what. We want quickly. Exactly, and when I see what it could what it could go into, my gosh, I feel like a pervert just walking through the women's area when I'm going to the men's area. So now, when it's going to be all together, it's like, oh, great! Now what? Well, thanks for call. I mean, I, okay, here's an interesting text, Jeff. As an LGBT person, I can confirm that this will not help a typical person of this community. As a matter of fact, I would argue this is counterintuitive. Further, why is the government trying to tell private retailers how to run their business? This is not progressive. This is the far left being perpetually offended at everything in modern day society. Right. It, it's to me, it, it's a business choice. Now, maybe you will have retailers, for example, in certain areas that will say, you know, this this is a plus, you know, and we, we find this easier for the customers. But at, at the same time, why they do this the way they line up the stores is to make it easier for all of us to find the stuff we want. And, I mean, who really walks into a Target and is offended if there's a sign that says, okay, you know, girls, girls' dolls and, you know, boys' trucks or, or whatever? Are, are we really offended by that? And more importantly, perhaps the larger point is, do you want the government being able to tell people they can't have it? That's the larger question. And I understand this is a bill moving its way through the California legislature. Don't be surprised, though, if you see something like this introduced in a place like Madison. And you know what the argument's going to be if you oppose it. Well, you're, you're nothing but a hater. Well, the truth is that that's the farthest thing from the truth. It's just this is something that makes no sense. Back with more in just a minute. Okay, this is Jeff Wagner. I've got another one of these stories that's like a head-exploding moment. Here's the headline. Baltimore High School student fails all but three classes over four years, still ranks near the top half of his class. 
Tiffany France's son still ranked number 62 in a class of 120 total students. Here's the details. A Baltimore high school student failed all but three classes over four years and almost graduated near the top half of his class with a 0.13 GPA. (laughs) 0.13 and you're almost in the top of your half. Class, Tiffany France, the mother for the failing student, thought her son would be receiving his diploma from the high school. However, she was surprised to discover that he's being sent back to the ninth grade to start over again. He's stressed, and I am too. I told him I'm probably going to start crying. France expressed frustration with the school, asking why her son would have to complete three more years of high school. She says the school failed him. France's son failed 22 classes, was late or absent 272 days over his first three years of high school. <laughs> Melissa Barkley, your mouth. I'm your just mouth. shaking my head. How does this Failed happen? Failed 22 classes, was late or absent 272 days over his first three years of high school. Um, despite that, he still ranked 67 in a class out of 120. So this is the mom. The school failed at their job. They failed. They failed. That's the problem here. They failed. They failed. He didn't deserve that. Okay. So the accountability on the parents making the right, child go to school? Right. Right. Or? right, right the, the mom has no clue that the kid has failed 22 classes, was late or absent 272 days over the first three years of high school. Apparently no clue at all that of what's going on here. And she's upset that they want him to, I guess she would rather him, what, get advanced and here we're, we're going to graduate him from high school and send some kid who probably can't read or do basic math into the community the whole purpose is to contribute to society after you finish high school or college and and do something but i, I don't really know what this yeah. kid would be doing well and you know and and she does have in the larger point a a, a point Apparently that even though he fails the classes, the schools continue to promote him. After failing Spanish 1 and Algebra 1, the school still allowed him to take Spanish 2 and Algebra 2. So she, she's... Well, that's a point. That's right. a good point. She, she yeah. does have a good point, but at the, to that extent. But at the same time, it's mom. You know, didn't you realize that there was a problem going on here when the kid's not in school and he's failed, uh, you know, two thirds of his classes or whatever? And what about teacher conferences? Don't they have those anymore? I guess not. She said, uh, only one teacher requires requested a parent-teacher conference, but the woman, the mom, said that didn't happen. Well, clearly, if he's at the head of his class, that's not... Uh... <laughs> oh, no, let's, be, let's be fair. He's in the top half of his, of class, his class. Almost in the top oh, okay. half of well, his class. It reminds me of that scene in Animal House where they're, they're all in front of Dean Wormer, and he's going through the list, and he says, okay, Mr. Blutarski, zero... Or D-Day, zero point zero. <laughs> you know, on the grade point <laughs> average. It's, it's, it, yeah. But this is... It, it, oh, it would be fun. Sad. It is sad. Oh, it, and then the mom is upset about this, and the mom is upset that they made the kids start over again. My only response would be, why do you think, even if he started over again, why do you think the result would, would any changed. different three years that, from now here? I just... Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling to me. All right. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Greg Matzik. We're going to talk about this latest WTMJ CARES initiative. And then Alec Baldwin did it. Would it be good for you? It's all coming up. And, of course, Pop Culture Corner. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right. 
Big Radiothon this afternoon from 4 until 5, raising money for a number, another wonderful cause through our WTMJ Cares program. The guy who has been spearheading it, who has been taking the laboring oar for the last several weeks and producing a number of wonderful stories. Greg Matzik joins me live and in person in the WTMJ studios. Hi, Greg. Happy Friday to you, Jeff. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about the the initiative for people who might not have heard about it over the course of the last couple weeks. Yeah, so the last few weeks we've been telling you stories of families affected by congenital heart disease, so defects in their child's heart, either detected prior to birth or shortly after birth, that have really affected their ability to live a normal life. And the stories have been ranging from uplifting to uh, heartbreaking, sometimes both. Uh, these families that come home with a, a young child trying to figure out you know, how to feed it and get it to sleep, and all of a sudden something doesn't sound right, and they go back to the doctor, healthy parents, what's going on here? And they realize there's a hole in the heart that wasn't detected during the ultrasound. So just wrap your mind around that as a parent. Like, it just... Uh, so instantly, this this pulled me in the direction of trying to tell these stories the best way possible uh, so we can try and drum up as much support as possible for the Children's Heart Foundation. They are doing wonderful, wonderful things, but they're also very much research-dependent to try and advance medicine. So when, when we talk about what they do, for example, with the donations, how, how does that money get spent? Because I know that's something people always want to know. Yeah, it's a lot of research. Uh, research funds advancements. And... Uh, I, I, in talking to some of the families, uh, there was one family, the Rickard family, whose son was born in 1988, and there was a surgery that her son needed at 20 months old that he was not able to get in Milwaukee. They had to go to Chicago. Uh, a couple of months after that surgery was performed in Chicago, it became available in Milwaukee. Each one of the families I've talked to has said the same thing. If this is the hand that we're dealt, at least it happened now, five, ten years ago, we don't know right. what would have been available. There may not have been a pacemaker the the size of, of an infant and a newborn, but now there is. So that's the kind of rapid advancement that uh, supporting this mission really helps contribute to. Have you, in the course of getting into this, how common is this? I mean, this sounds like every every parent's nightmare and stuff. I mean, is, is this something that occurs more than people might think? You have 40,000 births a year, roughly, is wow. what the numbers say, and that's a, a, a ranging number, but an estimate. So certainly it's in our backyard. It's nationwide. It's worldwide. Uh, in each of the stories we've told, uh, from specific family members, they're local, southeastern Wisconsin, and, and varying in ages. Uh, one became a heart angel at the age of 29. He passed on from uh, all the issues that he had. Ultimately, we've got a 13-year-old and a 1-year-old who told the stories of them. They're living the journey. Uh, one family just beginning, one is about a high school-age girl. So uh, very compelling stories. And, and again, just listening to them talk and what they're hoping for, uh, we're holding out for stem cell research, one right. would say. We want our son to tell his story uh, at a heart walk 30 years from now and be an inspiration. I, I feel like they, they see this all moving in the right direction, and you know, the more help, the better. Does this come as a, as a surprise to parents? Is that how it, it sort of develops, or is it something that, they, that, that you pretty much know right away? No, so that's been the amazing thing to find out is that you know, through the ultrasound period, you go in at 20 weeks, and it's just kind of standard protocol. Mom and dad are healthy. Something might be detected. Perhaps it's not detected. Uh, so that's been, it, it's been ranging, and the folks I've talked to, some of these are, are detected after birth. And right. you go back because a little heart murmur was discovered, and then you realize it's much more significant. Um, 
and you know really anything that affects the heart's ability to perform its normal functions whether it's pumping blood the rhythm of the heart the way the uh, electrical system works there to tell the heart what to do any one of a number of things that disrupts the heart's normal function is a congenital heart defect sometimes it's a little bit more minor sometimes it's very complex well, you you and I have both been here a long time. You've been twenty years or so, almost twenty years. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I I've been even here even a little bit longer than that. And one of the things I've always been amazed at is the generosity of our of our listeners and our our fans, and and the way they they're able to come together and, and help out, especially when you have these incredibly worthwhile causes. So um, I know we, we've had opportunities for people to contribute, but let's talk about what's going to be going on today and what you would like people to do. Yeah, so we're going to take an hour of the afternoon show, and uh, we're calling it a heartathon. So it really is our, our deep dive into the stories that we've been able to tell over the last few weeks. Uh, we have someone from the Children's Heart Foundation coming on to talk to us uh, just about how important research is and, and maybe what's next. Uh, some of those out there listening who are affected by congenital heart defects, you probably know the Children's Heart Foundation, but do you know what's coming, what they're trying to figure out next? How can they help uh, these children live longer and more meaningful lives? That's what we want to try and figure out through that hour. Uh, and really, if, if you can text the word CARES, safely do so, to 855-616-1620. You don't have to wait till 4 o'clock this afternoon. Right. You can get all the information you need sent right to your mobile device uh, or log on at WTMJ.com. Right. I would also imagine that given everything that's been going on in the last year, when, when you talk to these charitable foundations that do all this great work, it, it, it's been a tough year because everybody gets distracted with other things, and, and whether it's... Maybe somebody's employment situation or health situation with COVID or whatever. It's important to remember that there are these wonderful causes out there. And if people are in a position to, you know, make a donation to help, you know, make, make a child's life better, this is a great way to do that. Yeah. And I've said it before throughout this process and in initiative, Jeff, but I think support buys time. I don't think it buys a cure. I don't think there is a cure. I don't think there will ever right. be a cure, but it does buy time for a child. Uh, who, if they were born 15, 20 years ago, the prognosis and outlook on life may not be as positive as it is today. So things are moving in the right direction, but certainly not perfect. It's certainly not where they want it to be. Okay, so as we've been saying in the promos, this is the day you have a, a chance today to make a real difference in the fight against congenital heart defects. Um, Greg, from 4 to 5 this afternoon, that's coming up in, what, about an hour and a half, two hours, during Wisconsin's Afternoon News. It's a radiothon. You're calling it a heartathon? Yeah. Is that up there? Yeah, a little more on brand, right? Well, right. Works with me, right? <laughs> Where we're raising funds for the Children's Heart Foundation, and we do need everybody to help. As Greg was just mentioning, you can text the word CARE, C-A-R-E-S, to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line at 855-616-1620 and certainly keep uh, tuned here be here at four o'clock for our culminating wtmj cares radiothon i know you found this to be very rewarding and, and we all appreciate all your efforts and i'm i'm sure this is a very rewarding thing for you to be involved oh in. my goodness jeff and just you know being the father of two young girls you know one of them would have a cough and, and my wife and i would try and figure out is this a, a lingering cough an ear infection what do we got going on to me, that is so minor. That is so minor in the grand scheme of things. We have two healthy girls, and we're blessed to have it. Um, and I had my daughters with me on some of these these calls. They were peeking in the background as we were talking to some of these heart warriors who are truly inspiration. So, uh, yeah, being a, a father of two young girls, this one really hits home for me.
Okay, well, I'm looking at our text line now. A lot of people are, are texting the number, and oh, all you have to great. do is put in the word C-A-R-E-S, get all the details. Greg Matzik, uh, thanks for all you've been doing with this, and we want to, again, encourage everybody. Text the word CARES to 855-616-1620. You get all the information and be listening at 4 o'clock this afternoon for uh, Wisconsin's Afternoon News Radiothon, Hardathon, part of the WTMJ CARES initiative. Thanks for all your good work. Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate it. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Yeah, in all seriousness, be, be tuned in. Four o'clock today, and a um, number of people are texting our um, Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. All you have to do is text the word CARE, C A R E S, and you can get all the details. That's 855 616 1620. Okay, I, I was talking earlier in the show about how, in the course of any given show, you know, on a slow day, maybe I'll get 200 texts on a, on a, Busy day, maybe four or five hundred. It, it just kind of all depends. But I, I, it tells me that there's a lot of people out there who are involved in social media and using things like the text lines and stuff like that. And, and it's great. And I was also telling the story about how I, I know that there's some people out there who are, are just giving feedback. They're, the phrase I use is being disagreeable. They're, they're disagreeing for the sake of being disagreeable. And that's that's okay. I mean, I, I get paid for that. But but that's, that's one of the downsides of the Internet, that you have – Everybody has a voice, and there's people who decide to use that in in different ways. And there's some people who, hey, I'm going to go on the Internet, and I'm going to express my opinions. And there's other people who just decide, well, I'm going to be that person who's out there disagreeing for the sake of being disagreeable. Now, I bring this up because Alec Baldwin, and I am not a fan of Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin can jump in the deep blue sea as far as I'm concerned. But here's the story. On Wednesday, Alec Baldwin deactivated his Twitter account. In a video posted on his Instagram, he explained he used Twitter as a news aggregator to kind of find news stories, but he's moving on because it's not worth the unpleasantness and the harshness. Now, there is an irony for somebody like Alan Alec Baldwin talking about that, but let's put that irony aside for a second. He says, well, everybody would say to me, just ignore all these haters. The problem with Twitter is, Twitter is a lot of haters, he added. And then the story I'm looking at says Baldwin's not alone, and a lot of people both stars and otherwise, are, are just making that decision. They're saying, look, social media has benefits. You know, it helps you maintain contact with others and build networks. But the, the problem that they see is if you spend too much time on this, it can be un, unhealthy um, because, you know, it, it creates like a link between, I don't know, your self-esteem and the responses you get. And, you know, we, we see that with the people who, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, who just obsess about, you know, politics or the people that are just out there and regardless of what you post, they're going to respond in some sort of negative way just because that's that's what they do and that's what gives them pleasure to respond in a nasty way. Anyhow, the point of this is you've got all these experts saying, you know, social media is a great thing, but for normal people, it might not be the end of the world to you know, take a break from time to time. And I will tell you, especially during the last election season, I know a number of people who made the intentional decision to disconnect from Twitter, to disconnect from Facebook, to disconnect from Instagram, simply because they made the decision that it wasn't good for their mental health, because they were they were 
being attacked when they posted stuff or they were getting into arguments with people or things like that. And the simple decision was, you know, life is just too short. Now, I have a, I'm not on Facebook. I have a Twitter account that I, that I use through, through work and, you know, we, we post things like that. But otherwise, I, I just, I really do try to limit my social media interaction because well, I, I, I get enough of that with what I do for a living. But let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know a lot of people who have gone off Facebook, gone off Twitter, and just decided, you know, it's not healthy. Now, I'm not saying that they might not be back on at some point in time. And I'm not saying that there aren't good things about Facebook and things of the like. But at the same time, I also understand that you can get really caught up in this, and in some cases, if you get too caught up in it, it can take you down a very, very dark rabbit hole. 855-616-1620, have you considered, or have you, just said, okay, social media, enough, I'm going to let it go? We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Kelly in Slinger. Kelly, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So shortly before the presidential election, I decided to drop off of Facebook, completely close my account, and it was difficult because I realized how much how much time I was spending. But honestly, I didn't like the person I was becoming. And I didn't like the comments that people were making, Mm -hmm. the disagreements, the hatred. I I just, I didn't like it. And I, my husband pointed it out to me (laughs) and said, this is just not, uh, this isn't a good look on you. And I said, you're right. And I, I closed my account, and I never looked back. That's what I was going to ask you. So you, you, you haven't, you haven't looked back. It's like, I'm, I'm done with this, or at least done for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I, I quit cold turkey, so to speak, and for the first couple of days, I, I missed it, but I realized that it was such a time waster that there was really no benefit for me uh, being on social media, and I think that the people that want to connect with me know how to connect with me in other ways, and I didn't necessarily care about somebody that I went to high school with 30 years ago. <laughs> well, you know, my, my wife uses Facebook as, as a way to, okay, see what, like, people she knows, that, you know, they'll post stuff, hey, that this is this is where the grandkids are, or something like that, but she completely punches out when it comes to using it as a way to discuss, you know, political issues or things like that, because, again, you're just not... You're you're not not getting anywhere with that, and some of the fights that it brings out among people just not worth it. No, and, and I found that with I, I can't speak for anybody else, but with my personality, it was so easy for me to get sucked back in <laughs> if there was a political debate. And so I know myself well enough to say I just I can't do it. I just need to. to Ties. Well, that's that. That's what I'm here for, Kelly. You got talk radio. Whenever you want to voice your opinion, I'm I'm your noon to three, Monday through Friday. You always are, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I always am. That's exactly right. That's so. Yeah, you don't need Facebook. You don't need that. See, that's that. That is the thing. You know, it, we we've given everybody the the form. Anybody who's got an opinion has a, a chance on. Somebody was asking me this question the other day about what do you you know do, do we need to bring back the fairness doctrine? You know, where you know because you know there's there, there's just there, there's not enough opinion out there, and we have to make sure that both sides get expressed. I said, no, are you nuts? I mean, look look at what's going. 
going on right now. We have a situation where anybody, you know, who's got access to a cell phone can get on the Internet and express their their opinion. I mean, no, you, you don't need the government trying to say to broadcasters, well, we're going to measure, you know, whether or not, you know, you've given one side enough side. No, anybody that's got an opinion ha- has more than enough avenues to express it. The question is, is that healthy? Jeff, my wife stopped posting on Facebook several months ago. The pandemic has made social media a minefield of emotions, and she found herself dodging bullets, quote unquote, as people went back and forth in heated discussions. I've never been on Facebook, never will. We won't let our kids on it either. Um, Jeff, not for me. No social media. Nope, nope, nope. Not a nil zero. I did Facebook for about two weeks some years back. I swore off it forever. I just do not need it. Jeff, I deleted my Facebook account last August. I'm so happy I did. It was making me so upset and angry over the political stuff that was posted. I do not miss it at all. Um, well, I mean, yeah, now here's somebody else. Jeff, I will not be getting off social media because I like the benefits of keeping in touch with friends and relatives and uh, contests and stuff like that. And I and I, I understand that there's some value to it. But um, Alec Baldwin says he's leaving Twitter. Now, I don't know that Twitter is necessarily crying over that particular decision, but I understand what might be provoking that. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Like the big voice guy says, this is Pop Culture Corner. This is the point in time in the week where we put aside all the issues. And I understand that there's all sorts of stuff going on in the world. But I want to kind of go gently into the good weekend. We call it Pop Culture Corner. Um, sometimes we talk about music, sometimes travel, sometimes food, sometimes books. It just it depends on any given day what kind of um, what, what's kind of tickled my fancy because I'm a guy who likes to have his fancy tickled. And I, I hope I can then make it interesting to you as well. So um, it, what happened was when we were in Florida last week, the, the cable TV wasn't working. And so the Internet was working. So I, I could get access to like the, the different streaming channels, Netflix and Hulu and things like that. And, and so there, there's there's so much stuff on there. It, it's just it, it is amazing. You've got all these different choices, whether it's old TV shows, um, whether it's new stuff that the streaming services are putting out. There's just it's an amazing it, it's almost so much stuff that it's kind of like overwhelming. And my problem is that if, if I get into something, I'm kind of a completist. So if I start watching, say, a series, I, I'm pretty much committed that I'm going to watch the whole series, which could mean, uh, let, let's say, you know, there's there's. 10 one-hour episodes, so I'm kind of, you know, once I get in and I've made this decision, I've committed myself, okay, well, this is, you're going to be spending 10 hours of your life over the course of the next few days, like, burning through these episodes and watching it, and it's so tough to know what's out there that's good or, or not. Now, sometimes when it comes to the streaming stuff, they're they're rerunning shows that maybe you saw on cable or on the networks years ago, so you say, hey, that, that's kind of cool, I'd like to... I'd like to revisit uh, the TV show Justified. I like Justified. I've forgotten some of the stuff. Here, I'll go back and I'll watch the seven seasons. But for a lot of people, too, it's it's the new stuff that's out there, and it's so difficult to figure out what's worth your time and what isn't. And so, interestingly, I find myself a lot when I go out to dinner with, with friends inevitably, one of the conversations that occurs is, hey, what are you watching on TV? Because everybody's got the different streaming services and everybody's, you know, sorting stuff out. And I have, 
I have friends all across the spectrum, not just across the political spectrum, and I do have that as well, but just with all sorts of different tastes. And I have some people who have very... I would say highbrow, sophisticated tastes. And then I have other people who, for whom, like, like Blazing Saddles is just that, that's it. If we can watch that movie 50 times, you know, we, we love the jokes about passing gas. That's our favorite scene. I, I have friends all across the map. And so I, I really value their input. But we always talk about, okay, what, what's, what's good? If, if you have that six hours or seven hours and you want to go and you want to binge on some, some TV show or some show that's out there that's being streamed now or some old show. What, what's, what's your binge worthy show? So since I was kind of wrestling with that over the course of, well, some days last week, I thought we'd make that pop culture corner this week. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you had to decide one show, past or present, to stream, to binge on, and you were going to recommend that to me and the audience, what would that show be? Your most binge-worthy show, and it can be a comedy, it can be a drama, it can be an old television show, it could be something new that's on Netflix or new that's on Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever. Your binge-worthy TV show, your binge-worthy program, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And as I always say during these segments, I encourage you to call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up and I want to get to as many calls as we can and also, as I always say, go with your first instinct. Sometimes people tend to overthink it. But that show that's worth your time to binge on. 855-616-1620. Back with your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, binge worthy television shows. I'll get it started before we start doing the calls and the texts. Um, one I've been working on lately is uh, there's a show called Lillehammer on um, Netflix, and it stars. Little Stevie Van Sant from who was in the Sopranos, he was the consigliere, and he's part of the E Street Band, and he plays this Italian mobster. It was it ran for three years, a few years back, who gets into the witness protection program, and they relocate him in Norway. And it's this great fish out of water story. I watched the first year, want to go back and watch the next two, just haven't quite found time to do it. Okay, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Amy in Menominee Falls. Hi, Amy. Hey. Real good. Okay, your binge-worthy TV show. The Heart of Dixie. Heart of Dixie. That was was that that was was that a, a on what? Okay, tell me about that. I haven't seen that one. Well, it's a it's a comedy about a young doctor who from New York who goes down to Alabama. So I won't ruin it for anybody, but it's a, worth your time. Is that on Netflix? Netflix. That's what I thought. Okay, thanks. I've I've seen I've seen the thing as I'm going. It, it's I don't. One of the problems I have with all these streaming services is it's. I don't know about you. It's just overwhelming. You know, you're just you're kind of like looking at all this, and I'm going. I don't even know where to start. I'm almost paralyzed. Yeah, you, yeah, and and a lot of these streaming services are not intuitive. They they don't make it necessarily easy to find stuff, which doesn't stop me from still looking. Candy and Cedarburg. Candy, you're on WTMJ. Yes, not landing. 
<laughs> okay, did you like that bet? No, the, the, the reason I laugh is my late wife, Sue, loved Knott's Landing. She could take or leave Dallas. Absolutely. She loved Knott's Landing. Just absolutely loved it. It was a, if we were going out on Friday nights, we had the, the video, the VHS had to be going. That's how long ago it was because we had to follow, it was Gary Ewing, right? <laughs> Yes, yes, it was great. It was like seven years. Yeah. No, I, I and so you no, know, no. Thanks for calling. I, I no, not slanting again. I, I was kind of a Dallas guy, um, but, but no, my, but Sue just loved, loved, loved not slanting, which was kind of the, the spinoff from Dallas. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. All right, we're talking about binge worthy shows. Bill, Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. It's got to be Magnum PI, the original TV show from the eighties. With Tom Selleck. Yeah, with, with Tom, Tom Selleck. Selleck. I used to live in Hawaii, and we were walking on the sidewalk one day during that, and that red Ferrari cruised by, so maybe I'll be on one of the episodes. Oh, I mean, and of course, I, I, Magnum P.I. was a great show a, a, as well, and, and, and Tom Selleck, you know, he, he, did, he just did a great job with that. Let's talk to Diane in New Berlin. Diane, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, your binge-worthy TV show. Gilmore Girls. Okay. Um, have you? Have, gosh, there's like seven or eight years of that, isn't there? Seven or eight uh, seasons? I, I believe it's nine, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. I've watched it over and over and over again. I can tell you anything you want to know about the show. Well, the reason I smile, Diane, is my wife, Fran. Um, she... she Really does not do a lot of the binge stuff because she's she she's out actually out doing like productive stuff instead of me watching TV. She's doing like like real stuff. She got hooked on the Gilmore Girls, and we went through a period of time where I swear every time I turn around, it was on in the kitchen, it was on in the bedroom, it was on in the living room, and oh, I yeah. I oh, ended yeah. up watching some of that, and it was, it was actually I, I think I saw some from the first couple of years. I'm not sure what happened later on, but it was pretty clever. It well acted and entertaining. But, but yeah, Amy Palladino is probably the most creative, clever writer I've ever ever come across. Got it. Okay. No, thank. No, Gilmore Girls, and it was actually, it was, it was extremely clever. I. I, that's not necessarily the, the kind of show that I typically like nowadays, but it, it was. It was it was clever. It was funny. And again, I I just I kind of watched it secondhand when it was on. But I, I think I think Fran burned through all the seasons of it. I'm I'm not sure, but it you know that's one of the problems with the these with the television shows that run year after year. A lot of times they go on too far. By that I mean it's a great concept, but after. Like three seasons, you've you've kind of told all the stories that you can of of that, and then you start repeating yourself. That's my beef about one of the the greatest binge worthy TV shows of all times, which is The Sopranos. Sopranos, great show on, on HBO. But if you watch The Sopranos critically, if you go back and look at it, what you'll find is, I think it ran like six seasons. They, they split one up maybe, but regardless, what what you see is the last couple seasons. They're really repeating stories that that they did in the first couple seasons. They had kind of run out of ideas but there's still people watching and they love the characters and there's so much money involved that you kind of tell the same story over and over again and hope people don't notice 855-616-1620 let's talk to jeff in fox point jeff you're on wtmj hey jeff i am soon going to re-binge the show bosch on amazon prime to prepare for the upcoming season and i like it because the writing based on the michael Conley books is yes. really good 
and the actors um, are good, some of whom are, are were on The Wire. Okay. And there's also an actor from Wisconsin on season two. Okay. Now, Jeff, it is funny that you would mention that because I have recently gotten into Michael Conley is the author. I'm, I'm reading The Lincoln Lawyer. There's the movie The Lincoln Lawyer with Matthew Conaghy. So I'm reading the Lincoln Lawyer series of books that he wrote. And I guess I never real, and the character that you're talking about, the, the police officer, um, Bosch, he, he's in the Lincoln Lawyer books. And it's inspired me oh. to go. I, I actually, I bought the first three. There's like 20 Bosch books. I bought the first three the other day. So I, I didn't realize that there was a TV show as well. So I got to check that out, huh? I've now, you have now sucked me into this whole thing. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading the Bosch books, too, and then picturing Titus Wolliver while I'm reading them. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. Well, all right. Because, I, I, again, it was – it was I, I, The Lincoln Lawyer, I love the movie, and then there's like six books about that, so I've been – I'm – I, I'm on the third one right now. This is what I, I've been doing. And so, and then I'm like, oh, this, they've got this Bosch series. So I just bought the first three of those. There's like 20 in that series. So this will be something else that will be a time suck. I will now, thank you, be watching that show as well. Mike on the South Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Talk to ask because then we got a lot of calls. Ah, Sons of Anarchy, seven years. Okay, did you? No did you, regrets. Okay, did you like it at the, did, you, did you like it at the end as well as you liked it at the beginning? I didn't like the last episode. I would have wrote it different. Okay. But that's fine with me. Yeah. And now one more is Animal Kingdom. I forget the blonde woman's name. It only ran like two and a half years. Kind of a point break. Okay. But they robbed a church, I mean. Okay. Have yeah, you not, ever seen Animal Kingdom? No, that thank, thank you. That that one's drawing a that one's drawing a blank with me. But Sons of Anarchy, which was of course on FX or AMC or one of those FX, I think it was. And you got Katie Segal who played. Uh, she was Peg Bundy before she was the matriarch of the motorcycle family and things like that. I um I I liked it. My problem with Sons of Anarchy is there there, there wasn't any. Everybody was a bad guy. You know, the, 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 the featured group was, okay, they're, they're selling, they're, it's a motorcycle gang that kills people and sells guns, and they're better than some of the other motorcycle gangs that are out there selling drugs or whatever. But it, I, I had, I had a little problem finding somebody I wanted to root for. I actually, of that era, of the different binge-worthy shows, um, I, I like Justified. Uh, I like that. I like Justified a lot. I thought that was binge-worthy, and I'm ready to go back and watch, um, that again. One of the things I also just, uh, every couple of years, I go back and I rewatch Deadwood on HBO, and that, I'm just I'm amazed at how well done that is. Okay, I have fallen behind in my texts. Let's see, let's try to get through a bunch of these. Um, counterpart um, with uh, J.K. Simmons on Amazon Prime. That's that ran two years. It's a very very good show. It is a weird show, but yes, um, counterpart. It's just it's a very weird show, but yeah, I liked it. Um, Jeff, um, I like Ozark and The Big Bang Theory. I, I I've watched the first year of Ozark. I like it. I'm going to go back and watch the second two. Just haven't had time yet. Um, let's see, Jeff, the Kaminsky method. Yeah, that's with um, Michael Douglas, and uh, I I liked that quite a bit. And I, I watched that, Jeff. I like to binge the best, uh, the Big Valley. It's the best TV western of all time. Lee Majors, uh, Linda Evans, right before Dynasty. Absolutely, Jeff. I if talking about binge watching. Got to watch the. Game of Thrones. I, I, I haven't seen, I, I watched the first couple 
I've watched the first year of the Game of Thrones because if there's books that I want to read, I like to read the books before I watch the shows. And my intention is to read the Game of Thrones books. I've read the first one, just haven't gotten around to that yet. They're kind of a tough read. Uh, Jeff, let's see. Trailer Park Boys. Okay, haven't seen that one. Jeff, I love to binge on NYPD Blue. Yeah, I was, as a matter of fact, I just saw something the other day about you. It's a lot of those stars who just kind of completely disappeared. David Caruso and Dennis Franz and all. Um, uh, let's see. Jeff, Shameless. Yeah, Shameless is winding up its run on uh, Showtime, and there's I loved the first couple of years of Shameless. It was kind of a guilty pleasure. After that, I kind of thought again, it sort of repeated itself. Um, but, but you know, certainly entertaining. Uh, Jeff, we are rewatching The Mandalorian on Disney. Disney is the one streaming channel that I do not have, um, so that's it. Jeff, uh, Lillehammer was the, f- the first year was the best. Well, that's what I've seen. Ozark was really good also. Yeah, a number of people are mentioning Ozark. Um, somebody, one of our callers earlier, was talking about The Wire. That's, you ran on HBO, and I thought The Wire was, there were a couple of seasons that were just really kick tail one or two i thought weren't as good as the others but it was still definitely worth watching uh let's see uh binge worthy stuff here jeff i started watching blacklist totally hooked that's on my list i haven't seen that jeff my choice for binging is the original law and order with jerry orbach and sam waterston well boy i tell you you get into the law and order stuff and you'll be watching tv for a long time all right a lot of other ones firefly here yeah that's a good one northern exposure i love northern exposure wandavision on disney plus that just wrapped up the first year all sorts of great shows that are out there um whatever your binge is and by the way you can send me an email or, you know, put it on the text line. I'm always looking for great ideas. Okay, 2.53, that's it for Pop Culture Corner this week. Got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Thanks for playing this afternoon.